As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Farker is finally fired. No, not Oli. Daniel Farker. But after Norwich finally win... And Dean Smith is gone too, out of the villa like it was summer on ITV2. Oh, football, happy now? We look back on a big weekend of balls and sacks, all the big stories from the Manchester Derby to Moyes, and much, much more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Monday, the 8th of November. Big welcome to you, listener. Here on the Totally Few today, we've got Daniel Story of the I. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. Uh, Adrian Clark of, uh, well, all sorts of places, Premier League. Where else, Adrian? <laughs> yeah, plenty of places. Plenty <laughs> too of many places. To, too many to list, but yeah, good to be back. <laughs> Between your ears today, listener. And Charlie Eccleshire of The Athletic. Hi, Charlie. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, I'm delighted. So you went to really topical spots this uh, this weekend. Daniel, you were at Old Trafford. Charlie, you were at uh, Goodison for Antonio Conte's exciting start uh, in the Premier League as, as Tottenham manager. And, and, and Adrian, you were all over the Arsenal-Watford game and Villa as well. Villa, which kind of kicked off the Premier League's night of the long knives, really. A weekend of the long knives, I should say. Uh, two dismissals are coming this weekend. As mentioned, Daniel Farker of Norwich and Dean Smith at Villa. Crikey. Daniel, you were mentioning already more sackings this season in the Premier League than the whole of last season. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe last season was, was the exception in that it felt like a number of clubs understood their managers working in fairly unique circumstances with without crowds and with limited budgets. But... Yeah, from that point on, they've they've clearly now decided that those excuses have uh, you know failed to land, and uh, the kind of surprise is is you know obviously that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is still there, but that that a number of clubs have have done this seemingly pretty ahead of schedule. So obviously Norwich are only five points off safety, and Villa started badly, but we are only eleven games into a season, and and yeah, as you say, five already gone. Mm. Happy final international break until March weekend, everyone. Uh, also hirings, though, since our last show, Eddie Howe uh, appointed at Newcastle. We'll, we'll get your thoughts on how that's going to work out later on. Let's first off check on the scores from round 11 of this Premier League season. 
On Friday, Southampton, there you go, Bobby, kicked the weekend off and brought the curtain down on Dean Smith with a 1-0 win over Villa. Saturday, Man City visited uh, Neighbours United, found no one home, had a bit of a kick around on their park and went home with the three points. A good weekend for City continued with Chelsea then held at home by Burnley's one shot on target. Elsewhere, there was a 1-1 for Brighton with Newcastle. Palace beat Wolves 2-0 and Norwich won. 2-1 at Brentford in the Birds and the Bees derby and then binned off Daniel Farker. Sunday, goalless at Goodison in Antonio Conte's debut with Spurs. 1-1 for Leeds and Leicester. Arsenal had a narrow and controversial win over Watford and West Ham beat Liverpool 3-2, moving above them in the table. So, after 11 rounds, Chelsea leading still. Three clear of City and the Hammers. Liverpool fourth, a point behind. And hello, Arsenal now fifth two points off the top four. At the other end, Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich still the bottom three. Villa and Watford just two points from trouble. Leeds only one point better off. All right, let's kick off with uh, Manchester City away in the theatre of memes. TM Daniel Story. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Cancelo. It's an awkward ball. And it's ended up in the back of the net. Bernardo Silva's poked it home from right by the post, and it is 2-0. Regarding the theatre of memes, one of the benefits of a, a side completely outplaying the other in a big game is that it, it does leave you 60 or 70 minutes to think of puns to crowbar into your pieces. Which, <laughs> um, the last two times I've been to Old Trafford, it, that has been possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was... This was a less emphatic scoreline than than the Liverpool game, but I actually think it was worse because against Liverpool, Manchester United did what they believe they are very good at and and came unstuck, but did have some chances. Against City, they didn't really try. They 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 played this defensive system that worked against Tottenham, but that rely there's kind of three three points I'd make about that. The first, very quickly, is that it relies on you defending well, and United didn't do that and haven't for some time. The second is it, it kind of went against what had worked for Solskjaer against Guardiola in that he, he kind of attacked City early and actually unnerved them in those games and had a really good record against Pep. And the third thing is that playing like that is a very sure way to lose the goodwill and patience of home supporters. And they were, yeah, they were not happy on Saturday lunchtime. Nicely summarised. My favourite stat, United's players had more shots on their own goal than they did on City's. Crikey. Uh, before we go any further, let's just underline City were really, really good in this game. They were absolutely tremendous. Yeah, they just ran the rings around Manchester United. They played the the system that United uh, set up perfectly, using using the wings. But they were so deep, and they allowed these two v one overloads just throughout that first half. It asked a lot of the central midfielders to get across. They didn't. I mean, Wamba Saka and, and Luke Shaw are in horrendous form anyway so so to to be overloaded 2v1 on regular occasions was was their worst nightmare and yeah it was just so fluid so intelligent they were just streets ahead weren't they I mean the ball was Manchester City's best friend and and as far as United are concerned the ball was a stranger they had nothing in common with it was it was it was so stark the difference between the two sides they um, yeah, the, the tactical intelligence of City was outstanding. The tactical intelligence of Manchester United was non-existent. It was one of those as well, wasn't it? Where because United so rarely had the ball, when they did get it, it was almost like, oh, what do we do? They, they looked like they were slightly panicked. I just wondered, it was interesting there, Daniel, saying about the fans. I mean, watching it on 
on TV, it almost felt a kind of like weary resignation um, as the second half went on. I mean, you mentioned there they were they weren't happy. What was your sense though? I mean, is there almost a reluctance of the fans as well to get too much on Solskjaer's back because you know they don't want it to end in that kind of way? The feeling was definitely on Saturday, particularly after the game. Supporters were angry about the players and their point. You know, the, the repeated point was, you know, we, we don't expect necessarily a team that can outplay City, but we expect a team that will fight for the ball and show some passion. Now, maybe there's an element of a point in there, but I think that's a little bit simplistic. I think the, the main problem is that if you set up defensively deep and therefore hope to play on the counter-attack, what you effectively need there is that system to work, system to, to get from your own box to the opposition box to work. United have been better with this kind of individual brilliance, which relies upon getting loads of players up the pitch and then assuming that there's enough of them up there that one of them will do something spectacular. And and let's face it, quite often they have. Reliance on a system when you don't really have one is, is seemed pretty nonsensical because as Bruno got the ball sort of 30, 40 yards from his own goal and most of the time he didn't really have an option other than to pass it backwards because even that close to his own goal, there was only Ronaldo in front of him. And that's what the support was got down on they were sort of you know mm. chanting attack 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 they were booing De Gea when he was playing the ball short out in the back rather than launching it but then he launches it and Ronaldo has four players around him so it's just none of it worked I just feel that Manchester United have defended so badly at centre-back in recent weeks and Varane was out that he felt compelled to play with a back three but that was wrong because they're up against a false nine which kind of defeats the object of the back three and it goes against like you said Daniel what they did well before winning the ball higher up the pitch and creating those dangerous transitions. They, they weren't able to do that because they didn't have enough players in and around the halfway line. Everyone was on the edge of their own box. That, I think, was, was their issue in a nutshell. Mm. All right. Can, can I say one thing, James, on um, mm. United? Not in a kind of, you know, I think everyone feels that Solskjaer should be sacked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, one thing I do... <laughs> Just one thing on them, I do think that it's not totally mad that they should want this thing to work. You know, I think it, it, it's been dismissed as kind of naivety and sentiment and all of these things that we say that we hate. But then we also hate teams who just get on that carousel of bringing in your Ancelotti's content, you know, whoever's the kind of uh, the big manager at that time. And maybe that is just a sensible way of running a club. We've seen Chelsea more or less do that and it works for them. But it doesn't always work. It's not absolutely a guarantee. And I think there there can be something quite soulless and joyless about doing that. So I, I don't think it was so ridiculous that United really wanted Solskjaer to work and the way that you see that Arsenal clearly really want Arteta to work because they're so invested in it. I think it's just that it's got probably beyond the point, well, it has got beyond the point, but I don't think it was so ludicrous that they, you know, wanted to give him time. Right, no, and this is a similar period, no, that Sir Alex Ferguson had back when he was just Alex Ferguson before things clicked for him. It's a fair point you make uh, there, Charlie, but on the other hand, in the words of Danny Mills... Mm. All right, well, so uh, Manchester City then, Jean Cancelo, five assists... In just two games, setting up that own goal uh, for the opener. Do you want to celebrate him? Or how about Bernardo Silva, who hashtag almost left in the summer and that, but has been one of the players of the season so far? Yeah, he seems to have this role where he can play pretty much where he wants because Pep trusts him implicitly at the moment that he will make the right decisions. And that's always been 
the Guardiola dream. You know, there's this notion that players are incredibly well drilled and that um, they all know what they're doing every time they get the ball. And that, that's absolutely right. But Guardi- what Guardiola wants, what his main aim is, is to give players those instructions, to reinforce those instructions so often that they're then able to do that kind of thing themselves in a kind of freeform way. So if Bernardo Silva believes he's better dropping into a six position or, you know, there were times in the first half on Saturday where De Bruyne was their, their deepest lying outfield player. He was the one sprinting back to pick the ball with the defenders all ahead of him. That's the sort of thing Guardiola loves because he trusts those players that they will be doing the right things because they've been taught by him to do the right things. And when they get it right, it is very hard to defend against. And United weren't very good at that, but City were brilliant. And there are no worse teams when they're in this kind of pomp than, than City yeah. to play. But, but... They've got a number of players, Manchester City, that that are like two positions rolled into one, haven't they? And and I think Bernardo Silva definitely fits that category. He kind of covers more ground than anyone else. He makes more tackles than virtually anybody else, yet he's just as creative and dangerous inside the final third as the rest of his teammates. Joao Cancelo, a wonderful buccaneering fullback, but also very tidy in central midfield. Where where City obviously like to like to dominate the ball, so yeah, it's a little bit like Brighton, where they've got players that can play in numerous positions. City, Praise City indeed. Similar. I, think. <laughs> I think we also um, we spoke last week on on Monday's show about maybe it's time to move Jack Grealish into a central position, and I've seen Phil Foden. Uh, exploit Trent Alexander-Arnold against Liverpool at Anfield. I've seen him do exactly the same to Wan-Bissaka on Saturday. And in that kind of form, I think Foden is a must-start on the left because he has the ability to drift in field and, and link play. But he's also a, a winger in his own right now in that he can take on a man down the touchline. He has this trick where he just gets the ball ahead of the defender and then he's gone. And the defender's kind of left there looking, like, where did the ball go? So I think he has to start on that left-hand side now uh, and find room for Grealish in the middle. Mm. I was thinking as well with that, how amazingly City played, and then you think they've got Mares, Sterling, Grealish, uh, all not playing Ferran Torres. I mean, that is a ludicrous alternative front three, front four to be able to call upon. I mean, that would have been better than what United had out, probably by a distance. How telling was it, Charlie, that that Pep didn't even feel the need to make any subs in? <laughs> yeah, it was. That felt kind of swaggering. I mean, he and because he, he was asked about it after any more or less, was like. It's going really well. Just no need to do it. He was it, taking it the felt, piss. Felt Let's get pointed. it right. He yeah, was absolutely was. taking the piss. Yeah. You know, you know, Guardiola's enjoyed himself when after the game he's deliberately piles upon praise on the opposition as well. There were quite a few of the city players were like this is such a hard place to come, and you like, I mean, fair play for keeping a straight face, but uh, yeah, it felt it felt swaggering, as Charlie says. Mm. All right, well, having scored enough to win emphatically, but crucially not enough to get their rivals to change their manager, City then sat back and watched the good news roll in from around the rest of the Premier League. Chelsea held by Burnley Saturday afternoon. Liverpool then on Sunday beaten at West Ham. A a quick word on on Chelsea first of all. Uh, Just one of those things, was it? Vidra uh, snatching a point late on or, or something more concerning there? Well, hadn't it happened? Something similar had happened against Malmo. They'd only scored once, and they sort of got away with it, um, but were very wasteful. I guess you would say they were missing their first and second choice striker. So you'd hope that once one or both of them comes back, then they would slightly address this problem. Um, 
but clearly at the moment yeah they they do need one or both of them back because they had they had so many chances to win that game and and you mm. always sense as it went on that they might uh, they might live to regret them yeah i did a bit of digging on the on the stats because i looked at that lineup and i thought well there's not enough goals in that starting 11 there's not enough natural goal scorers obviously they're all capable of course they are but you looked at the front three um ross barkley since the start of last season ross barkley one goal every 567 minutes um, since the start of last season. Callum Hudson-Odoi, a goal every 483 minutes. And Kai Havertz, since the last start of last season, 349 minutes per goal. So, so look, perhaps we shouldn't be that surprised that, that, they, that they miss chances here. There's a big, big old reliance on the, on the wing-backs who have just been sensational this season. But they, they can't be expected to produce those miracles every week, I guess. When is Lukaku due back? Uh, yeah, I mean, Tuchel says that, you know, they're going to look at him in the second half of the international break and, and see if he's fit. I suspect he might be on the bench for that next game and then the one after he'd start. Right. Burnley, though, four points from their last two games. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, now, meantime, what happened Sunday afternoon at West Ham where the Hammers ended Liverpool 25-match unbeaten run? They're now third in the table above Liverpool. A reminder... They were one point above the relegation zone when they rehired David Moyes back in December 2019. It's not like they've spent a huge amount either in the meantime. So, really, how far can this Hammer team go? If City are contenders, level on points with them, why not West Ham? <laughs> because they, they don't have the, the depth of City. We talked about City, the options off the bench. Injuries right. are bound to bite. And, and you look at West Ham, they have been an outstanding team. They are a brilliant unit, no doubt about it. Very well coached. They've got eight ever-presents at the moment and the other guys are becoming ever-presents as well. The likes of Kurt Zuma who's, who's come into the team. So I'm, I'm obliged to reference the other team that used the same group of players every week <laughs> and nobody and they, fancied yeah, them. And they had the a tal- talismanic centre-forward. They had a... a probably the best central midfielder in the league and and West Ham United have both of those don't they no doubt about it they have an experienced manager at the helm the, the similarities are, are pretty pretty obvious they're at their best on the counter so so yeah you you can rack up the comparisons but but it still feels yeah just as long a shot as as Leicester to to do it but but you can't you can't help but admire West Ham the, the, yeah what Moyes is building there is it's tremendous and, and the fans have bought into it, which I think is uh, among his greatest achievements, really, to get the fans completely united behind him and mm. and the players it, it, it is wonderful. It really is. But in this game, they also needed a little bit of luck to win the game and they got that with, with Alisson having a, a four out of ten performance. I do wonder how much the Europa League will be a factor here because without that, you know, and if they were having a week before each game and have that advantage over the teams they're in competition with. I do just wonder if that's going to be a bit of an issue for them, given that they've never had to juggle that workload in the second half of the season. But, you know, I saw someone yesterday and he was saying it has the feel, Leicester's a good comparison, but the Pochettino Spurs, when they hmm. were kind of starting out and every people were suddenly saying, wait a minute, is, is this team serious? Like, how far could they go? And obviously that Pochettino team got as high as second and qualified the Champions League. I, I don't think West Ham will make the top four, but it, it has that feeling of excitement and I think neutrals rallying around them. Mm. 
I mean, one of the big differences in all series is the fact that unlike that that Leicester season, 15-16, the big clubs, or some of the big clubs, are not in transition in, in quite the same fashion. A brilliant game, though, hugely entertaining. As you say, Adrian, it kicked off with that Allison own goal, then a phenomenal free kick from uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who, um, who Alberto Carlos did past Fabianski. For nows... Uh, then make it 2-1 to Amers after that Jared Bowen run, more like Michael Bowen, I say, before Kurt Zuma made it 3-1 and then another phenomenal goal uh, from Divock Origi. Boom. Yeah, they, I mean, Liverpool, in a sense, I think Liverpool supporters would, would probably accept that this has been coming. Um, 2019-20, when they won the league, they only conceded more than once in a league game twice before February. And they've already done it four times in the league this season, twice in the Champions League. And I think, you know, Mohamed Salah has been phenomenal, but he's also bailed bailed out that defence a number of times this season. There's no doubt about that. And, and that will irk Jurgen Klopp. And you could tell after the Brighton game, he was annoyed that the kind of lack of focus and the lack of... Uh, well, he, he's called just identified as defending the half spaces, which I think, you know, basically means just concentrating and being in the right position. Um, you know, it's not a crisis. Liverpool have just lost their first game, league game this season. It's no huge issue. But I do think the way that uh, West Ham's set pieces kind of unnerved them. Mm. I think that probably sends a message to the rest of the league to say, you know, we can get at this team. You know, if you sit back and let them, they'll they'll beat us. But we can kind of unnerve them. We can rattle them a little bit. That goal from Kurt Zuma, the 32nd time that West Ham have scored from a set piece in the Premier League since David Moyes returned to the club, which is five more than any other team. Yeah. Just on that point, you're saying as well, obviously none of you know Chelsea, City, Liverpool, none of them are in transition and they're all formidable teams. But it, it is interesting that they've all dropped points over the last couple of weeks, given... They, they, there was this kind of feeling of invincibility around them, but they're not, they're not kind of miles away. Um, and Chelsea... 26 points after 11 games isn't kind of obviously that's an outstandingly good start but it's not you know City in 17-18 where they just look like they're going to win absolutely every game and I do think that speaks to the general quality of the league that you know West Ham beat Liverpool yesterday we obviously had Crystal Palace going to City the week before Burnley holding Chelsea it, I do think all three of those teams are going to drop quite a few points um, that, I mean, as the season goes on yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to be a pissing on chips merchant, but I, I do wonder <laughs> if, if maybe, you know, post-Euros, fitness, kind of yeah. three, interna- three international breaks, Europe. I, I, my worry, or not worry, but my, my suspicion is that one of those teams, and I think it might be City, kind of use this run through November yeah. to February time particularly given that they will only lose Mares for the for the African Cup of Nations. And that might, yeah, that might allow them to to kind of push on. Liverpool is, you know, obviously have bigger AFCON concerns and that will be really interesting. And that's exactly what City did last season. I mean, they, yeah. they pulled away in that, in the period you're describing. Yeah. Right. Chelsea, though, not as affected by AFCON and in a sense, they've already, they might have already ridden out. They'll lose Mendy, won't they? Yeah, the... Mendy's the one. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I mean, yeah, they've only got the world's most expensive goalkeeper on the bench. So, <laughs> But in a sense, they've already ridden out one major uh, injury crisis and are still top of the table. So, you know, well, we'll see, eh? Exciting, exciting season ahead. Let's uh, next up get on to what happened uh, with Villa and Norwich. 
So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Cardboard boxes, clear desks, and awkward promises to be in touch this Monday morning at Norwich and Aston Villa as Daniel Farker and Dean Smith departed their positions. Norwich, uh, curiously, making the call after beating Brentford for their first win of the season. Villa, meanwhile making the call after their fifth defeat in a row. And yet it kind of felt like the bigger surprise of the two. Let's check in on how Dan Bardell is feeling. Dan, are you there? Yeah. All right. Is is that the voice of someone who's just had a little piece of them die over the weekend? I think it's quite sad. I think it it is a sad sacking because generally I don't think football managers leave clubs in a better place than where they found them. And I think Dean Smith has left Villa in a much better place than where he found them. And I think it's we've lost the five games in a row. And I think with that in isolation, he might have been okay. But 2021 hasn't been great in general. I think we might have lost the most games yeah. in the Premier League across all, all the ever-presents that have been in the last couple of seasons. And we were getting worse. And I think the owners are very, very worried about this season upon season improvement. And I think they might have seen that maybe it wasn't going to be that improvement this time round. And they've, they've pulled the trigger and f- football's ruthless. But Dean Smith's been great for Aston Villa. He's been a great manager and he's, he's a great man as well. He was someone I really, really loved having as the manager of my football club. And yeah, it's, it's a really sad day. I think even Villa fans that would have wanted him out, I think it will be tinged with sadness. Mm. Jack Grealish tweeting, no one will ever compare the real goat uh, over <laughs> Villa's announcement of the news. Just for people who got used to Dean Smith being there as you know one of the Premier League managers, what did he do for Villa? Well, when he came in, we were we were mid-table in the Championship. We, we were going nowhere. I think there was there was the makings of a decent side there, but Steve Bruce wasn't going to be able to get that that side going. And Dean Smith just came in. And he started well, but then he really, really fell away. A, a typical Grealish injury, and we were looking like we weren't going to get promoted. And then Dean pulled us on this this ten game run. We won ten in a row, and managed to get in the playoffs, and got ourselves up. And he he just did bring the feel good back back to Villa. It, it made us feel like we we meant something again. I think, like I say, we were going really nowhere before Dean Smith came in, and he he was just a lovely, lovely fit for the football club. I think having someone who's got such close ties and such a close affiliation with the club. It's a nice to have, but it, it really was nice to have. It's not a prerequisite for any manager to come in and be a supporter of the club. But at the time, you know, we had Dean Smith as the manager, a Villa fan, someone whose dad used to be steward and, and, and a very good manager as well. And a local boy who'd come through the academy as captain. It was just a really great time to, to be a Villa fan. And, you know, Grealish has left left this summer and it, it started to fall away a little bit. But I, I do think there's been extenuating circumstances for, for why it's been a struggle this season. We've had all kinds of injuries. We've had players travelling all over the place, coming back and then playing on the day that they've returned to the country and, and things like that. He hasn't had his best 11 on the pitch all season, although I'm not actually sure he knew what his best 11 was 
towards the end and yeah it's, it's it's just really really sad but I'll back obviously whoever com- comes in next but that they are big shoes to fill in a way mm. uh, what was on that piece of paper uh, Dan that all the Villa players passed around in the first half and then ended up in Tyrone being a sock <laughs> I'm hoping it was telling them what shirt colour they were wearing because they could not <laughs> pass the ball to each other <laughs> honestly we just move from one problem to the next at Villa. One week it's we can't defend set pieces. That the next week it's we can't pass to each other. I think, I think that was probably his, his biggest downfall this season. And it's not particularly his fault, but just the mid the, the midfield's not right. They went after Ward Prowse all summer, didn't get him, which which is fine. You know they tried, but then they didn't get anyone in. And then there's, there's there's no no passer really in in that midfield. And you you saw on Friday night. <laughs> Going forward at times in the first half, we, we just can't pass the ball to each other and the midfield gets bypassed too easily. So I, I do think midfield's where the problems stem at the moment. Yeah, I, I do agree, Dan. I, th- I think central midfield's been a, a problem. Obviously, the fact that, that Buendia, Bailey and Ings have been on the pitch together for 35 minutes all mm. season hasn't hasn't helped either. And from the outside looking in, Villa from last season, when they were on fire were such an energised team, weren't they? They would sort of launch these really quick counter-attacks, often through Grealish, from one end of the pitch to the other. You know, such a, such industry, sharpness. Remember the Liverpool game? They were all over Liverpool like a rash, weren't they? Yeah. They've gotten away from that, haven't they? I think I looked at some of the metrics. You know, in terms of, like, pressing, they're way down this season. Is, is that something you've picked up on as well? Yeah, I just haven't felt like like we had an identity this season. I haven't been able to work out what kind of side we are. Last season, we'd defend very narrow. The four defenders would be in the penalty area. They'd defend that penalty area deep, and then we'd break, like you say. This season, I've got absolutely no idea what what we are in. We're definitely not a team that controls possession. Those counter-attack scenes seem to have gone. I couldn't really work out what we were supposed to be. The pressing metrics are are down, like, like you're saying. There just wasn't really that that identity this season. I know I'm coming out with all kinds of buzzwords here, but I knew what Villa were last season. I, I didn't really know what what we were this season. We were in the last three games. We've had three different formations. I always think that's a problem when the, when the manager's changing formations, starting formations three games in a row. That tells me he doesn't know what what his best team is. So. Yeah, I think we've just had all kinds of problems this season. Everything that could have gone wrong has probably gone wrong. And if you you factor that in with Grealish leaving as well, who the football club was very Grealish-centric, it was always going to be a tough start to the season, but I just don't think anyone envisaged it would be like this. Right. Dan, do you know who the new manager's going to be? I know who I think they might go for. I I think everything is pointing towards Steven Gerrard. (gasps) This was was one of the other things, though, about Dean Smith leaving. I don't see that there's an obvious, you know, a dead cert, obvious upgrade out there. I don't see that there's that, that manager you can say, yeah, he, he's going to come in, he's a step up, he's going to improve us. I look at that list and there's good managers on there, but I don't think there's anyone who's a noticeable step up on, on, on Dean Smith. But whoever comes in, I will back and the, the board have got a plan in place. That They'll know what they're doing. They wouldn't have got rid of him unless they knew they had a good chance of getting in one of their targets. So I think it'll be a relatively quick appointment. Dan Bardell of the Villa View podcast. Adrian, you did comms on this game. Do you want to give some love to Saints, Southampton, for their 1-0 win? Yeah, in the first half, they were brilliant in terms of their appetite to win the ball. Ward-Prowse was was tremendous in the heart of the midfield. Kind of showed Villa what what they've missed, really, in not convincing him to, to join them in the summer. He was great. The front, too. 
Shea Adams and, and Adam Armstrong, so industrious. I mean, Shea Adams was literally everywhere. Um, outstanding from him. Uh, and a great goal from Adam Armstrong, who, oh. who has been averaging three and a half shots a game up until that point and had scored one goal. So he needed it. He needed to, to produce a moment that got his manager believing in him, in him again, I think. And, and that's what he produced with that half volley. It was it was so sweetly struck. And yeah, they fully deserved the win. They, they had to ride a storm for about 20 minutes after, after half time. But that was it. Quick mention as well for Salisu. I did a piece on him last week um, for the Premier League. And yeah, I just think he's a player that, that people are going to be talking about uh, more and more uh, for the rest of this season and, and into the seasons beyond. Because what, what are they going to be saying about him? He's a proper centre-half. I think he's a really aggressive um, centre-back. I think he's ahead of that game. He was the only player in the league to have had more than 20 tackles and interceptions. He's a really good ball winner. And yeah, I think they've unearthed uh, a quality quality centre-half there. That back six is good. They've got two excellent fullbacks, Livermento and Carl Walker-Peters, who's sort of been shunted over to the left. Ben mm. Narek is someone that I think is is, is a decent centre-half. And, and Salisi, and then they've got Ward-Prowse and Romeo, two really reliable, ball-winning central midfielders that don't sort of go walk about too much. So they've got that platform, haven't they? What they need is a bit more spice in the forward areas. Um, and I think, I think Adam Armstrong has got that. I really do, but but he obviously it is the a wingers are a bit. The wingers are fairly mercurial, aren't they? They're kind of yeah. very hot and cold with, yeah. with Walcott and with Redmond and exactly. yeah. El Yanusi. Is that what a mercurial wing, winger is? I always think of a mercurial winger as somebody who's like kind of Quicksilver and 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 Jack Grealish esque or or, uh, or um, Phil Foden, but is I, it actually just inconsistent? Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of yeah all over the shop. Up yeah, Mercurial is, is, yeah, changeable. and um, Right, okay. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. Very much like um, us all. Right, yeah, yeah. What about Mercurial Norwich then? Uh, with the win? They haven't been that Mercurial. That's been their no. problem. Kind no, of... that's true. Uh, but they did get the win Saturday at Brentford after 20 games without a victory and then immediately dropped the boom on... Uh, Daniel Farker, Adrian, you're saying it's the right thing to do. You kind of describe a bit like a much-loved puppy. You give him a final run in the park and then take him to the vet. That's exactly it. I don't need to add much more to it. Right. I think it was kind in a way because <laughs> it it could have got poisonous at Carrow Road. We know that Norwich fans are as forgiving as 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 anyone else really in the in the country, but. There were no Farker out chance. Yeah, there was a few grumblings. A few people weren't happy. But by and large, they were still with him. But we all know that they had to make a change. His record in the Premier League is is abysmal. And, and, and look, he, he will find a new home elsewhere and be a great success, I'm sure. Probably in the... Look, he can, he can name his price in the Championship. When a Championship job comes up, Daniel Farker can just name his price and, and he, will, he will get a good job, a plum job at that level. Um, but it's yeah, a little bit, a little bit like sort of your, your Ian Holloways and and whatnot. He's just maybe not not cut out for the Premier League. I see. Uh, Dan was mentioning Stephen Gerrard of Rangers for Villa. Don't know if you guys have any info on that. Who equally do you think Norwich might be going for? It sounds like Norwich are between uh, two options. One of which is, is Frank Lampard, who kind of feels like the sort of standard placeholder favourite for every Premier League job that comes up now. And the other one is... Now is that Kieti- Eddie Howe's gone. Yeah, the other one is Ketil Knutsen, who is the, the Bodo Glimt manager who obviously yeah. beat Jose Mourinho's Roma recently. Um, 
I mean, they they won the league. Nearly last beat year. them again last weekend. Uh, last yeah, Thursday, they were. Well. I mean, they won the Norwegian league for what it's worth last year, um, suffering only one defeat. Um, obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also won the Norwegian league, so they can get the band back together in uh, in the Premier League. <laughs> Quick line on Brentford. Meantime, four defeats in a row now for the Bees. Their worst run under Thomas Frank. Uh, they are fourteenth, four points. From the drop. Lost two of those defeats against Burnley and Norwich, which will be, hmm, a concern. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. And next up, let's hear about new managers. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which might just come in handy when Brighton start being Brighton again and go back to outperforming their XG and not winning. Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18's only. And please gamble responsibly. One new manager in at Spurs. Another one, Eddie Howe. In the stands observing at Brighton for Newcastle's game there. Charlie, you were at Goodison. You had the hot ticket for the Everton-Spurs clash, which I think everyone was really interested to see, and it wasn't on telly or anything, uh, you know, see the impact of the great man with the Spurs. Uh, how, how much did you? How much difference did you see? Yeah, I, a hot ticket that cooled as the, uh, <laughs> as, as the afternoon wore on. It was one of those where you went in hoping and expecting to see a kind of new Spurs. Mm. Um, it was more a kind of, it's one that would have shown Antonio Conte exactly how much work he has to do with the Spurs team. Right. Well, firing up your expectations, I imagine, was the, the other game that he'd had in the Europa Conference mm. League, which was a, a very different affair, a kind of madcap file this in the in the dictionary under Spursy type, 3-2 win over Vitesse. Yeah, that was. Although actually this season yesterday was more typical. I mean, they've scored nine goals in 11 league games, Spurs, which mm. I think is only Norwich have fewer than that. So this this wasn't really uh, atypical of how they've been. And they're almost four hours without a shot on target. I mean, this is a shot on target, not just a goal. So they, they're having a shot on target drought. It's uh, it's they're, they're really struggling to create chances. And yeah, yesterday was, um, it was quite Nuno-esque, but... You know, he's had, what, a couple of training sessions, um, very early days, et cetera, et cetera. But there were just a few times where they did at least look like they had a bit more of a pattern about the way they were trying to attack. And they, and this, you know, it's, it's a low bar and it sounds like expectations have been lowered, but they did at least have opportunities to create opportunities, if that makes mm. sense. I mean, they had kind of three on twos and this sort of thing and just the final ball wasn't very good. Right, they did also hit the post right, right at the death with the La Celso, no, which I know that Opta, for example, don't count that as a shot on target because, in a sense, it it's not. But kind of morally, I feel like, as, from a layman's perspective, that kind of should be a shot on target. Where, where do you stand on that? I know what you mean. I mean, I mean that it was a more impressive, noteworthy effort than a kind of p-roller down the keeper's throat that would count as a shot on target. Right, that, that right. was that was a good moment. Yeah, and La Celso who. 
uh, a lot of Spurs fans have, have either lost patience with or are losing patience with. But he, he did make a difference. He did then hit, though, in stoppage time, Spurs looking for the win, hit one of those sort of Sunday league corners that doesn't get off the ground. Um, and you did, and it's kind of a head-in-hands moment that kind of summed up the 90 minutes that had gone before it. Um, mm. He was a bit brighter. But yeah, I mean, that's Conte's big challenge. And we've seen him do it so well before. You know, he did it inter-amazingly with Lukaku and Lautaro. Um, is getting attacks to to catch fire. Um, I just wonder at the moment, you know, they're playing three at the back and then two holding players. I wonder if he might think that's a little bit conservative. Um, and Oli Skip is suspended for their next game. He picked up five yellows and they've been playing with Skip and Hoybier as that kind of double pivot. It'd be interesting to see who he replaces Skip with. It might be La Celso, uh, but it could even be Ndombele. And, and Ndombele is, you know, we're waiting for him to really uh, catch fire at Spurs and Conte could be the man to do that. Mm, interesting run of games coming up for Spurs this year. After the international break, they'll be at home to Leeds. Uh, then they've got Burnley, Brentford, Norwich, Brighton. So, mm. hmm. Adrian? They need they need someone that can unlock defences, don't they? They've got the pace yeah. with Son and, and, and Mora. They've got the finisher with, with Kane. But I just, where, where yeah, it's Les Elso could be the guy. He could be the most important player for Spurs un, under Conte as somebody to, to be that, that unlocker. Because they haven't got enough good passers in that team. And I think, mm. I think it's been a problem for ages. Christian Eriksen was someone that they hugely relied on. I mean, he was the guy that created almost all of the chances in open play for ages. And last season, they were lucky that Harry Kane suddenly became this mm. world-class playmaker that <laughs> couldn't stop creating um, because it, it papered over the cracks. And the cracks are, are obvious that that player is is a missing link for me at Spurs. And I, I think in January, certainly next summer, they need, they need um, either... They probably need a central midfielder that can do a little bit of everything certainly that can that can play those through balls for 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 the pace merchants like Son. I'm sure Antonio Conte will have that on his shopping list. Everton meanwhile end their three game losing streak. Oh by the way, how was the crowd uh, with uh, Rafa Benitez? They seemed pretty supportive. I mean that they were more getting at the referee because there was this penalty that was overturned and then you know once they had that in their mind that they had been wronged all the sort of marginal calls they were getting at I think as well there was some understanding because Everton were missing quite a few of their players mm. um, quite a few of their key players but were they did at least look like they were going for the win whereas towards the end until the red card Spurs seemed pretty happy to settle for a point um, but it certainly it was certainly wasn't mutinous it was more just kind of anger at the ref right okay uh, what of Newcastle then Eddie Howe confirmed as the Magpies new boss and was in the stands to see them uh, getting a point away at Brighton. Uh, what would you think about the appointment, first of all? Well, I mean, firstly, they needed some certainty. I think it's clear that they, they approached <laughs> Unai Emery and that he, he considered the job at one point and then that managed to kind of get sort of lost in a bit of a mess. Um, but with how I can't work out whether it's a total gamble because he's not been in the Premier League for quite a while or if him not being in the Premier League for quite a while and how it ended at Bournemouth has kind of covered the fact that he's a very, very good coach who took a team from League Two to to the Premier League and, and consolidated them there because mm. um, he's not a natural fit for Newcastle, I don't think. I don't think he's a natural fit for a club that wants to spend quite a lot of money quite quickly because 
you know his his thing is building relationships and building a team slowly and that's kind of that in a sense is the opposite of what Newcastle need immediately but then I also think he's probably one of the best coaches they could have got for the job because I don't I think they're always going to struggle to poach a, a manager mid-season and that proved and at, at that point I think he was probably one of the the most obvious fits it's a strange one he also gets reunited with the three of his former cherries there at St James's Park uh, Newcastle still winless of course the only Premier League team without a victory so far it's the worst start they've ever had in the history of the Premier League they're five points from safety the four previous Premier League teams to go 11 games without a win uh, at the start of the season were all relegated were they I mean in positive note though they did take a point and were they were they unlucky and not to get the win uh, the the penalty on Trossard what do you think mm. oh, I mean I think it was I think that was fair and I think yeah. the frustration for Newcastle is obviously that Robert Sanchez comes out of his area to foul uh, Wilson and yeah they and they didn't it was so late in the game that even though Lewis Dunk had to go in goal we didn't mm. get to see him have to make a save uh, brilliant for the neutral but pretty galling for Newcastle that that's one of those moments where it kind of feels like that's more deserving of a penalty than lots of different mm. penalties are but obviously you know the fact that it's in the box is your giveaway there. I think that Eddie Howe will make Newcastle better on the ball. He'll coach the players in a way that they'll really enjoy. I think they'll buy into his methods, no no problem. The issue is clearly at the back and he has no track record of, of improving mm-hmm. defenders, does he? I mean, Sky flagged up some graphics during the game yesterday and they've never conceded or Bournemouth never conceded fewer than 60 goals. I mean, their best ranking was 16th in terms of fewest goals conceded in the Premier League. So so that's an issue because he doesn't inherit very good defenders. I think the best thing that can happen in January is that they they almost solely target defensive players and, and, and go for experienced players that can manage themselves. When something isn't your speciality as a manager, I think it's important that you get players that can look after themselves on the pitch and and manage situations and organise themselves. So so yeah, I think the the yeah the recruitment of good experienced defenders is going to be integral to, they to their chances. Leaders out there, Adrian. Yeah, yeah, mm. leaders and and but but yeah, I don't I don't think he needs to worry too much about the forward areas. Obviously, you'll look at Joel Linton and say, oh, mm. he's not good enough. You can upgrade, and of course they can, but in the short term. They have to have better defenders because he won't play a defensive brand of football. I guess, though, he has shown, you know, they, that Bournemouth team stayed up for those first four seasons. We tend to assume, don't we, that the only way to uh, fend off relegation is to be defensively solid first and foremost. That Bournemouth team slightly upended that. And so maybe, I mean, I, I don't disagree, you know, clearly he does need to improve that defence, but maybe he's shown you can get away with having a fairly ropey defence as long as you score enough and he, and like you say I mean yeah Joe Linton is not going to be banging 20 goals but Sam Maximan Wilson there's enough there that you'd think you know those are two very very good Premier League players they, they may just have enough by um, <laughs> if they score if they score enough mm. Brighton whose goal was from the spot their last four penalties have been taken and scored by four different players which is interesting give us another stat uh, Adrian yeah, yeah. on Brighton, they are the most versatile, flexible team in the division. Mm. Obviously, Lewis Dunk ended up in goal, 
So we know him as a centre-half. He's now played in goal. So that's two different positions he's played in this season. Right. And, yeah. and look, he is not alone, OK? 14 Seagulls players have played in at least two positions this season. And eight have played in three or more positions this season. Graham Potter loves a Mr. Versatile. It, it's just the way he is. And and he plays a different system pretty much every week anyway. So, right. yeah, it's... It, it, He's doing things really, really differently, Graham Potter, and I can't. I, I admire it. I really do. Hence that Man City comparison you were making hmm. earlier on. Lovely stuff. All right. Uh, still to come. Oh, lots of other things, including oh, first round of the FA Cup, and more heartwarming underdog tales with Arsenal, and uh, oh, Palace as well. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. It's here, FA Cup first round. Hurrah. National League Southside... St. Albans beat League Two leaders Forest Green 3-2. St. Albans, by the way, who was sponsored by local band Enter Shikari. No plans to sign the player, disappointingly. 11 goals, meanwhile, in one game between National League rivals Halifax and Maidenhead. Halifax are called the Shaman, but not spelt like that. Uh, they came out on top 7-4. Uh, loads of other stories. Ooh, Wickham nearly crashed out. Came from behind twice to snatch a 2-2 draw at League 2 Hartlepool. But I, I'm going to say that maybe the story of the first round was Buxton of the Northern Premier League faced York of National League North. It was their first appearance in the FA Cup proper in almost 60 years, Buxton. So they fired their <laughs> manager and the assistant manager on the eve of the game, Gary Haywood and Mark Ward. This was after Ward announced that he was going to go on holiday instead of turning up for the match. He said, after the last 18 months of a global pandemic and loads of this sh- this was the only chance we could all go. Unfortunately, it's fallen on a big weekend for the club and I, more than anyone, is gutted to be missing it. However, I'm going to put my family first. So the club fired him. He had his holiday and Buxton still won, listener. So hurrah. 1-0 at York. 
there in the second round for the first time in the history. Brilliant. It's just so not, it's so non-league, isn't it, to take a holiday mid-season. It, it, it's, but on, it's... <laughs> on the day of your club's biggest game in 60 years, yeah. yeah the draw, uh, draw yeah. for round two is uh, Monday evening. Yeah, so. the FA Cup let me down this weekend because oh. a guy in our Power League team on a Monday night plays for Stratford Town FC who Ooh. reached the first round and played Shrewsbury this weekend and he was left out the match day squad so yeah. we're all ready to watch it on ITV4 and no DJ oh, I'm afraid no. oh, Alrighty uh, Let's cheer ourselves up with the talk of Arsenal who are now, am I reading this right? Two points off the top four in the Premier League Adrian you were there for the 1-0 win over Watford it was Mikel Arteta's 100th game as Arsenal manager. First of all, though, should it have been a draw? No. I mean, that not. the Arsenal goal. Come on, Adrian. You know it. I know it. We all saw it. <laughs> yeah, Watford I think... put the ball out because yeah. one of their players is injured and ruthless, cynical gunners yeah. just... You've got to look after yourself, haven't you, in this game? Right. You've, got, you've got to. No. I, I, think, I, I don't think it was anything malicious. I think... That he almost forgot, like I said. I, I, honestly, I don't think there. I didn't even notice it at the time. It was only afterwards that I sort of heard about the kerfuffle, and I do feel a bit sorry for Watford, right? Um, because you should give the ball back in that situation. Mm. But look, Arsenal. I mean, it wasn't them, immediately after. There was what yeah. sort of twenty, thirty seconds or so before. Yeah, I think mm. the right thing to do is give it back, and and I think Mikel Arteta did sort of half half apologise for it. <laughs> but look, Arsenal deserved to win the game. Um, yeah, they missed a the penalty. They had two goals disallowed. I mean, Ober did everything he could, Aubameyang, um, to, to cost Arsenal goals in this, <laughs> in this match. It was um, it was a bit of a disaster class from from him. Right uh, on on that. I, 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 look, Aubameyang's been been really good lately. His attitude's been spot on. Um, but I just I don't want to I don't want to see him on penalties anymore. He's, he's nowhere near being the best penalty taker at the club. Um, I, Alexander I Lacazette. That. Has has a record of eight eight out of eight for Arsenal. He should one hundred percent be the penalty taker. And, I would say and if, Pepe as well, and yeah. Maitland Niles. If you ever seen him take a penalty, oh. has this, this ludicrously he's good got, penalty taker. He's just he's just ice cold in his yeah. veins, isn't he? Albert's probably the penalties. fourth best penalty taker at the club. With hmm. <laughs> just to say, Adrian, shout out to Ben Foster for actually saving uh, Aubameyang's spot kick. He is now the oldest keeper for fans of these kind of statistics in Premier League history to save a penalty. Anyway, yeah, it was a good save. No, it was a good save, um, but it wasn't the best pen. And mm. um, on Maitland Niles, I think this was the best central midfield performance I've seen from him. Uh, I, I've been a, a sort of skeptic of his promise as a, an Arsenal starter in central midfield. Haven't seen enough in the past to suggest that he is good enough in that position to sort of eclipse a Partey or a Xhaka or even a Lukonga. But I have to say in this game, he was really good. So so it was a breakthrough 90 minutes for him in, in that position and, and it will probably afford him more chances moving forwards. Mm. Well, another of Watford's complaints about this game was the fact that in the build-up to Smith-Rowe's goal for Arsenal was a colossal foul by Maitland-Niles on Ishmael hmm. Saar, uh, but from an Arsenal point of view, it's a good thing to see, you know, a bit of midfield bullying from your your players. Yeah, I mean, he he, I agree with Adrian. He he is an interesting case, Maitland-Niles, because he it feels like he could have been a starting fullback for the club, but by wanting to play central midfield, has slightly blown that opportunity. So if he now is able to establish himself, then I guess he would say it was 
it was worth it. But just on the not giving it back as well, Arsenal obviously have history from that FA Cup tie against Sheffield United in 99 when they offered to replay the game. And the game was replayed when Kanu... Kanu got the blame. It was actually Overmars who scored the goal, I think. And Overmars kind of head up to receive the pass and scored. But Kanu took all the flack. But yeah, Wenger... I think Steve Bruce was Sheffield United's manager and Wenger said, uh, yeah, we'll replay it. They did. And then the game finished by the same scoreline uh, a couple of weeks later. Mm. I didn't see Arteta uh, <laughs> doing, uh, doing, doing the same. Well, because that, that, that win, I believe, makes him the most successful... Arsenal manager in history in terms of Ooh. first hundred matches win Here rate win, win percentage win rate. I can't believe it yeah it's, we, it's we, a bizarre stat really you can't it just... mention win percentage around here no I know Coxie <laughs> was, um, was dead against it wasn't he um, yeah. maybe this is why <laughs> alright well we can say that they don't have a negative goal difference anymore Arsenal that's for the first time this season and they are ten games unbeaten the team is more united now than I can remember it in the last five or six years. And the connection between the fans and the manager, between the fans and the players, is, is strongest since, um, yeah, since sort of Arsenal were top of the league under Arsene Wenger a few years ago. It's, it's uh, yeah, the, the connection is back. Crikey. Will we be hearing that clip of Adrian talking played back at the end of the season with echoey sound effects? I, I wonder. <laughs> um, Palace also this weekend continued their unbeaten run, uh, winning their second straight match with a 2-0 victory over Wolves, which is impressive because they, Daniel, have had a really hard run of fixtures, eh? Yeah, they have. They've played each of the current top four away from home and they've also played... Uh, Arsenal, Spurs and Leicester without losing to any of those um, they were brilliant they, this was, you know, we said it just now about Arsenal but this felt like the Palace breakout performance more than the win at City because mm. this came with possession but it wasn't the stagnant possession that has been a danger it was Conor Gallagher setting the tempo it was high pace, it was chance created it was not giving Wolves anything on the break I think Wolves' expected goals are something like 0.3 which is I think only Newcastle had lower this this weekend in the Premier League. And yeah, it was a perfect performance. And they really are looking up because they've still got Eze to come back in. They've still got Elise to be kind of fully ingratiated into that team. And yeah, they look... I, I'm, I, I thought Vieira might do okay there, but I thought it would take time. And I thought that he might get kind of consumed a little bit by the pressure of that. But it's been the complete opposite. They've started so quickly despite the new system. I bumped into Sean Derry, who I, who I know, um, at the Arsenal Leeds game. He was do, he was doing some radio work, and we were sort of just passing. And I and I sort of collared him and said, "Look, I was really because he's the uh, one of the assistants to Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace." I said, "Mate, I said, really impressed with you at Arsenal. I thought you deserved to win that game. Excellent tactical performance." He was kind of like, "He was like, yeah, like that's been our level this season. We've." We've been really competitive in each game, and and I, we've got the tactics right. And I said, "Well, look, Vieira, then go on. T- talk to me about Vieira. What is he decent?" And he just gave me this sort of knowing look. He goes, "Mate, he is very good. He is very good." Mm-hmm. And it, and it, it, he didn't have to say that. He he just it was that look that said, "Mate, he could be a future Arsenal manager." That's what he was basically wow. saying to me. He is really good. Um, so look, he, he works with him. He's not going to say bad stuff potentially, but mm. but this was a sort of off the record conversation, and and yeah, just the fact that he rates him so highly is good enough for me. Um, yeah, I think he's. This looks like a, a sound choice to rock up at Palace, and and yeah, it could be a nice stepping stone for him. 
we should say as well that it, it owes something to affirm our good fortune in that Palace targeted Nuno over the summer, thought they probably were going to appoint him and then Nuno kind of, it seemed like he'd got whiff of maybe the Everton job might come up. He ends up going to Spurs and loses his job, whereas Palace then turned to Patrick Vieira and everything works out swimmingly. Um, I think it's fair to say that they wouldn't be averaging 60, 65% of the ball away from home uh, under Nuno <laughs> if he was Palace manager and yet he's making it work. Gallagher as well. What a what a loan signing that is. Yeah, he, he looks absolutely superb. Palace move up to tenth in the table now, uh, only two points behind the likes of Man United and Brighton, and above such uh, celebrated sides as Leicester City, who are in twelfth place. Leicester after their one-one draw away at Leeds. Rafinha with his first goal. Sorry, fifth. Beg your pardon, Rafinha. Fifth goal of the season. Harvey Barnes though. About a minute later, what a strike. Absolutely brilliant goal, wasn't mm. it? He, his cameo off the bench for Leicester against Arsenal was tremendous. He was he was on a mission to to sort of shine and get his place back. And he got it back. Uh, he got his starting berth at Leeds. And that was, yeah, that was as true a hit as you'll ever, as you'll ever see, really. The moment it left his boot, he knew that was in the postage stamp. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And, and I think, look, if Harvey Barnes can can start delivering that on a consistent basis for Leicester, Leicester will be a better team. Uh, still to come, Moo Misery, a bit of On This Day and much more. But first, uh, some odds from Carl Monaghan of Paddy Power and producer Charlie. Hello, listener. We in the Paddy Power odds section really can't keep up with the constant managerial changes at the moment. It makes recording this segment very hard. It's a struggle. Violin sound effect. There it is. What we do know is that Antonio Conte is Tottenham manager, just under a week in the job. Carl Monaghan, what has Conte's appointment done for the various markets? Spurs for the top four? How he came for Golden Boot? How he winks for Ballon d'Or? When there is a possibility to kill the opposition, you must kill. I don't like these crazy games. Those are the words, Charlie, of one Antonio Conte after he watched his Spurs signs 3-2 win over Vitesse last week. You mentioned the top four finish for Spurs, Charlie. Not impossible for Conte, as they currently lie only five points off of West Ham in fourth place. The Italians' remarkable winning record, Charlie, at club level, suggests Spurs have got themselves a serious upgrade here. This man has won five league titles in seven full seasons of club football. Let that sink in, Charlie. Remember, Man United thought they were too cool for the winning machine from Lecce. There is a whole host of Conte specials up on the Paddy Power website as we've gone a bit Conte mad of late, listeners. Spurs to make the top four is 15-2. to two, And for a top six finish in the Premier League, we priced them at 7-5. to five. Harry Kane has looked like a polar bear in the jungle of late. And Charlie, the England striker is 16-1 to 1 for the golden boot. He better get cracking. We'll also give you 6-5 to 5 on Kane, scoring 15 or more Premier League goals in this campaign. And one for the Spurs fans here, Charlie, will give you even money for Spurs to finish above Arsenal come the end of the season. You know what? Because we've got a bit of time on our hands before the internationals come into play on Thursday... I'm curious about the Champions League odds, Carl. I seem to remember PSG were favourites before a ball was kicked. What's changed? Yeah, PSG have looked a bit ropey in the group stages so far, Charlie, and Pochettino has his work cut out for him if he is to deliver the trophy the Parisians want the most. Manchester City and Bayern Munich are the joint favourites at 7-2 now and look the two best sides in the competition, I think. PSG have drifted to 11-2. Liverpool, meanwhile, who just did the double over Diego Simeone's Atletico, are 11-2. to 
And the holders, Chelsea, look big at 15 to 2. And how about the Cristiano Ronaldo show, aka Man United? They're priced up at 16 to 1 to lift all big ears. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Our prices are accurate at the time of recording, it's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. It's the 8th of November for us, listener, perhaps for you. The 35th anniversary of the 8th of November when Sir Alex Ferguson had his first game in charge of Man United. It was a 2-0 defeat at Oxford United. Crikey. It's another world, isn't it? 1986, of course, is the year. What was number one, do you think? Uh, Charlie, you like this. I'm going to guess. 8th of November. What are you going with, Daniel? Queen. Queen had very few number ones. Which Um, Queen song are you saying would be number one in 1986, then? Well, this is a shame now. It was easier to name the artist than the oh, song. Right. <laughs> you just went with Queen because they had lots of songs. But yeah. not number ones, apparently. Duran, Duran. They, 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 they would have no, had a few number surely ones. Surely not. Was, would it be something like The Final Countdown? No, it was none of those things. Adrian? <laughs> that, well, I would have said Duran, Duran. Um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. How about that? Oh, You're so far out, Adrian. Wish it was The Final Countdown because we could play it and it's the best <laughs> song ever. Uh, but it was this. Beat the intro, listener. That's right. Berlin with Take My Breath Away. Out of that film, Top Gun. Ooh, and just checking here on my what was number one when book. Final Countdown was actually number one straight after that. Charlie. Mm. Well, I, I must say I slightly cheated because my birthday Ooh. is December 86. And ah. I happen to know the Final Countdown was number one then. So I thought, could it have been long enough? It would have been a long run, but... You never know. No points for half marks in this game, Charlie. Yeah, did you get <laughs> did you get a record or anything for your birthday back then? Like a big vinyl. No, record. I looked this up years afterwards, and I thought that uh, was quite a good, a, quite a satisfying number one to uh, to have on your birthday. Bit ominous, I would say. Final <laughs> I once went to a pub quiz at university where uh, at the end of it there was kind of massive prize pot of four hundred quid, and you had one question. The winners had one question to try and win this thing, and Ooh. we didn't win the quiz. But the person who did, the t- captain of the team that did, the question was, "What was number one in the US on the day of your birth?" And the guy knew the number one from the UK on the day of his birth, but was like, oh, well, it's US, so it'll be different. Guessed a different song, and it was the same song in both countries, oh. which is unforgivable. That is unforgivable. That number must one stay day. with him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it stays with me, and I've yeah. never met Flip. a bloke again, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how cruel I am. Perhaps number one for you today, listener, is the Totally Football League show when it comes out later on. Yeah, needs a bit of work, that link. But anyway... Uh, are you involved in this week's, Adrian? Yep, yep, I'm there every, every Monday, so Brilliant. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. All right, among the things on your agenda, no doubt, how Neil Warnock was about to overtake Dario Grady as the man who'd managed the most league games in England, and he did, but has now left Borough. Crikey. Yeah. Yeah, they got him over the line and then they made the change. I feel like that that was deliberate. I really do. I think okay. that, that this has been in the pipeline for a few weeks now. It's a simple case. They've not been that bad, Middlesbrough. But they want a long-term appointment. Mm. I think Neil Warnock was going to, always going to be his last season there. And Chris Wilder's available. And with so many other clubs looking for new managers at the moment, right. they needed to to act now. I think oh. it's, as, it's as simple as that. Um, and look, we wish Colin well, don't we? Hopefully he'll be back. 
you're saucy. Uh, a shout out, I hope, as well in the Total Football League show to Alexander Mitrovic. Not sure what that's an anagram of. Uh, who scored his 20th goal of the season in Fulham's win at Peterborough. That can't yeah. be right. I think it's... he's got... I think uh, these are estimated because I can't remember now, but I think he's scored 24 goals in his last 130 Premier League games and right. something like 72 in his last 90 <laughs> Championship games, which is... Right, right. He is the Norwich of uh, yeah. of players. Remarkable. All right, well, that's how uh, later on on Monday... On Tuesday, you can enjoy the Totally Football Show European edition, which is going to be a busy one this time as well, ahead of the international break. We'll be talking about the most exciting managerial appointment of the week on the continent. Sheva, that's right. Andrei Shevchenko taking over at the oldest club in Italy, Genoa. Woof. Lovely part of Italy, of course. It is a lovely part of Italy, <laughs> that's true. And it's a lovely club, and he's a lovely man. Uh, could have been a pro ice hockey player, could have been a street pickpocket. Instead, he turned his talents to football and won the Ballon d'Or, amongst other things. Of course, as a national team manager, took Ukraine, not just to the Euros, but all the way to the quarterfinals. And the game with England wasn't so great. But anyway, it'll be exciting to see how he does at Genoa. Of course, though, there was that other uh, managerial appointment at Barcelona. The top brass flew off to Qatar and came back after much grumbling with Xavi's signature. He'll be taking over a side that has just thrown away a three-goal lead at Celta Vigo, drawing 3-3, and yes, problems. Loads of injuries as well. Sorry, Charlie. No, just going back a few steps, sorry, to Chris Wilder and you know, pitching up at Middlesbrough. Given the job he did at the Premier League, is that is it a bit unfair that on him that no one at a high level would take a chance? And I was just thinking then with Dean Smith, I mean, what's... Dean Smith's next job and is the, is this uh, kind of reverse xenophobia is it just that there's so much more competition now but I feel like back in the day doing that sort of job at Sheffield United or Villa would have at least guaranteed you your next job would be Premier League mm. I think I think the thing in the championship now is that the teams coming down have such an advantage financially uh, and you know, because their play, their ability to retain players and therefore the squads are better that they also have a pretty big budget for managers and I think they figure that they want to build around a manager who, uh, you know, a kind of expansive manager rather than maybe a firefighter, which probably does Chris Wilder a bit of a disservice given how he he built Sheffield United and took them up. But I think that I think the sense is still that he's he's almost within that bracket of firefighter managers rather than let's say an Eddie Howe type, which probably is unfair, but exactly the same as Howe. I think there's a number of football club owners who want to see him do a job outside of Sheffield United. If he does really well at Middlesbrough, mm. I think his next job is in the Premier League. But I think it's whether he's a very good Sheffield United manager or a very good Championship Premier League manager. Mm. It'll be fascinating to see how it turns out. And of course, there's more discussion of that and so much more in the Totally Football League show out now. Hey, we're almost in what's Jose Mourinho's next job territory. Don't know if I'm going too soon on that, but it doesn't feel like it after Roma went to one win in seven this weekend. By the way, that only win in their last seven was against bottom of the table in Serie A, Cagliari. Uh, this weekend, Roma losing 3-2 away at Venezia in the nicest football stadium. In, I mean, it's not a great football stadium, but it's the location is just stupid on the edge of, of the Venetian archipelago uh, with you know the, the lagoon around you. Uh, Ethan Ampadu... Uh, 
with a lovely through ball for David Okereke. And uh, and Roma went down to yet another defeat. Daniel, you mentioned Bodo Glimt, the 6-1 hammering of the hapless Gialarossi uh, just over a fortnight ago. And then last Thursday, Roma barely scraped a 2-2 draw back on their own patch in the return. And it, it's just dismal. And he's throwing his players under the under under the bus. He's, he's, yesterday, the comment was, oh, I don't want to say what I think is happening, so I can't talk. He's doing all about after games and stuff. Yeah, He's doing his kind of blame game guess who where he he sort of he starts with 30 players in the squad and then says well the substitutes aren't good enough and everyone flicks down the substitutes names and then he <laughs> says this team is no better than last season and he flicked down a few more names and eventually you're left with maybe like Tammy Abraham up front and that's no it won't be Tammy yesterday he had three players that uh, he said were doing their jobs and that was before the defeat to uh, <laughs> and Tammy very definitely wasn't one although he did get his first goal in I think uh, seven games Tammy mm. yes it's I mean the great start for him and, and Roma has, has, has gone a bit sour. I'm talking about yeah. for, for Tammy and for, for Jose. But we'll talk more about the reasons for that and realistically what, what the future holds uh, with James Horncastle, uh, who's way better informed. And uh, he'll be joining us on Tuesday's show. Super stuff. All right. International break. Ahoy. Hope you're going to have a good one. I know Daniel is. Daniel, briefly, what's your itinerary again? Oh, I'm going to San Marino for next Sunday. Well, I'm going to Bologna and then to Rimini and then to San Marino by bus on Sunday, Monday. And then rather than spending 24 hours in Bologna twiddling my thumbs, I'm going to go to Prague and watch Czech Republic against Estonia. Because Of why course not? you are. Brilliant. All right. Well, have a great trip, Daniel. That sounds fantastic. Uh, Charlie, uh, Adrian, have you got big plans for the international break? No, not really. No, really? sort of ease ease off the uh, pedal mm. a little bit during during this kind of uh, this kind of week. I'm, I'm I'm half considering boycotting the England games in protest at <laughs> Ben White's omission. You know, with Connor Cody and Tyrone Mings and Maguire ahead of him. I mean, what's going on there? Right, but there you go. Yeah, for Kyle Tamori as well. I mean, perhaps less of an issue for you, but anyway, uh, Charlie. <laughs> Taking the weekend off? few days off this week, yeah. uh, second half of the week, it being internationals, and then back at it next week for revving up for the return of the Premier League. Listener, you'll be delighted to know we're not taking the weekend off on Totally. We will be back here on Thursday previewing England and stuff, and uh, there'll be a bit of that in Tuesday's Euro show as well, and then we'll be back Monday to review all the international games. There's some big ones as well. Don't let them tell you otherwise. Uh, for now, though, that's it for this edition of said podcast so many many thanks to Charlie Adrian and Daniel and Dan Bardell earlier on and producer Charlie and you and everyone else who knows us we'll be back soon bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally the Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.